This is episode number 257. Do you talk to yourself with Scott Mason? Welcome. My name is Oleg Loki, and this is the Overcoming Outs podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to make a few quick announcements. First one being in regard to our work, and that is if you've enjoyed any of the previous episodes or any of the previous conversations that we've hosted through LinkedIn or Facebook, please consider supporting our work by making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our weekly conversation called Survive to Thrive, Attitude of Gratitude. What this is, is a series of conversations that take place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, hosted through LinkedIn Live or Facebook Live, where you are able to share your own insights and perspectives around some of the topics that we choose to explore which oftentimes revolve around the concept of the connection between gratitude and resilience, gratitude and grief, gratitude and appreciation, gratitude and self-talk, and many other topics. If this is of interest to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today, where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding our upcoming conversation. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, Scott Mason. I figured I'll let you in instead of just letting you be in the lobby talking to yourself. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was saying all sorts of things. <laughs> and I'm not even going to repeat them because you people cannot handle hearing them. <laughs> I'm grateful that we're able to have this conversation as a follow-up to what we were talking about yesterday on Just a Squirrel Looking for a Nut and that concept of talking to strangers. I think the message that maybe we hinted couple of times within that conversation yesterday, it's that <laughs> talking to yourself. But I, I, I find this topic to be fascinating for a couple of different reasons. A, as I was mentioning earlier in the intro, I believe this is something we all do in one way or another. And I've been very curious to understand, A, why do we do it? Or why do some of us do it? And is there an actual benefit to doing that? Like I remember when I first posted this initially, as far as the topic goes, Steve Gamlin was one of the first people that chose to comment. And he said that for him, it's been a healthy way to process some of these more complicated thoughts that he experiences in the, on the day to day. But if there's anything that I've learned throughout my life, it's that I can't really assume that's true for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I, I think every single one of us probably does it for different reasons. So I'm curious to hear from you, A, do you talk to yourself, and B, why do you do it? There have been a couple of times I've talked to myself <laughs> and for various different reasons, some of which just may be unique to me, although maybe not. So every now and then, I just like to add excitement into the world. 
<laughs> so there have been situations where I've been annoyed with someone or wanted to just do something exciting to add a little thrill to life. So I've walked down the street pretending to talk to myself, but really I'm not. And it gets reactions. People think I'm crazy. Actually, I don't really do that. I just didn't know what to say in my initial answer to your question. And I'm sort of talking to myself through this camera and pretending to be at you just so we can see what it looks like, just so we can have a good place to start. In all seriousness, Mr. Lowheed, I actually rarely do talk to myself. Mm -hmm. I internally process things. I think through things a lot. However, I find that to be a limiting process. And as I was considering the discussion topic today, it occurred to me, maybe I need to be talking to myself a little bit more out loud. I know many, many people that I consider sane, much saner than me, mm -hmm. much, who talk to themselves all the time out loud. There is my internal dialogue, which is talking to myself. So that I do all the time. I do it too much. Mm-hmm. There have been times, though, particularly if I am, like, let's say I'm rehearsing for a speech or I'm conceptualizing a presentation that I might want to give to someone or I am dreading a conversation that I'm going to have to have with someone I care about a lot. And so I may be um, thinking about exactly what I'm going to say, how I'm going to say it, the exact wording in advance of the actual conversation. And in those situations... I do find myself talking to myself, practicing out loud mm -hmm. snippets of what I'm about to say. So although I said earlier, I don't really, or maybe I, I rarely talk to myself, particularly out loud, I don't want to say that it never happens because in those situations, I'm conscious of the fact that I do it. Mm-hmm. I do the same exact thing. I think for me, one of the other things that I do is I, I'm very fortunate to have a dog. So I talk to him, although he doesn't really talk back, at least the way that he speaks back to me, I don't fully understand. I don't speak bark, barkish. I don't know if that's a language, but, <laughs> but it's exactly, but it, it's, it's fascinating to me how often I do it, but, and it's probably relatively similar reasons when it comes to different preparations that I do prior to facilitating certain spaces. I also find myself sometimes talking to myself, not necessarily when I'm preparing, but when I have experienced either a thought that I haven't thought of or something that is more complex to me. Mm. So in talking to myself, it's as it's almost as if I'm able to create a path towards better understanding of that particular thing. Mm hmm. When you or say a, it's or a situation that takes place that I haven't encountered before, I was sharing with you yesterday and earlier today the agree to disagree moments sometimes mm -hmm. in life. They're not all the same. There are some individuals that I have met that don't choose to approach the conversation through an open lens. Mm -hmm. So it creates this dilemma as far as, okay, why did this happen? Should I have done anything differently? Or maybe this is the person. So there's so many different components to it. And I think what I've learned is that the only way for me to figure out is to talk to myself, whether it's mm. externally or whether it's talking to myself through a journal, mm -hmm. because I noticed the same exact thing. When mm -hmm. I journal, I'll use I did this or I was thinking that. 
So it's it's fascinating to observe the whole process and really see the the benefits of it that it can introduce. I had never thought of journaling as talking to oneself, mm-hmm. but it really is now that yeah. you say it because it's just talking and writing it down. It's you're acting as a scribe of your own dialogue. Yeah, brilliant point. Oh, like I'll talk to you about another situation sometimes where I think I might talk to myself sometimes. I'm not 100% mm-hmm. sure about this. I don't remember, but it seems like the sort of situation where I probably have. Now, you and I are always fighting. Every day I talk to you. You, after our shows are over, you say, Scott, we're taking it outside. Then we <laughs> yell and we scream. You, know, you rough me up a little bit. I have to put on all this makeup and stuff to right. hide the bruises because of these these punches that you're throwing around in my face. <laughs> and after it's all over, after this conflict happens, I find myself going back to my home and talking out loud all the things I should have said to you. Mm-hmm. I have all these brilliant comebacks to all your your sassy little language that mm-hmm. I imagine myself saying, of course, I didn't think of it in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I talk to myself, it's almost as a decompression or depressurized way. Now, for anyone who doubts about this, Oleg and I don't even live in the same city. We haven't <laughs> even met each other in person yet. So all this violence, it's just me. It's just me saying stuff. And we really actually do get along quite well. However, the general principle that I'm talking about, we've all had serious conflicts in our lives like that, a confrontation with another human being that may feel high stakes, whether it's emotional high stakes or it's actually professional or financial um, high stakes. And I don't know about you, but do you ever, after those things are over, sort of replay the whole thing in your mind over and over and and talk about how it might have played out or how you might have snapped them down and had the last word? Oh, I put that movie on the repeat. I, I, I don't even – it's almost as if I don't give my chance the option to hit stop, pause, and reflect. It's on repeat. And depending on the situation itself, I also find that to be fascinating because let's say it's a situation that a person I've never met and they happen to say something where there might be a grain of truth. Yeah. But then I'm questioning everything about that circumstance. Well, who are they to say that? <laughs> so and, – and what gives them the credibility – for me to trust them, whatever it is that was said. The one thing that I find interesting about talking to yourself is this concept of how, and I don't want to project meaning onto anyone else, but rather just something that I believe to be true is that I believe all of us do it in one way or another. The question within that is why does that then become an abnormal behavior? Why is it that when you see someone talk to you themselves, there is oftentimes the assumption by people that's made that, okay, this is someone who has some sort of mental illness. That's a part I never fully understood is that if this is a behavior that is shared amongst many people, if not everyone, why has it not been accepted as going to the bathroom or the need to eat? Who says anybody accepts going to the bathroom? <laughs> that, well, that's also true. That's true. Depending <laughs> on the part of the world. That's, that's very I, I don't go to that's the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> so, Miriam, good to see you finally catching us, huh? We've been missing you. So it's good to have you here. And I'm glad you find your conversations with yourself interesting. If your <laughs> conversations with yourself were boring... I would have deep concerns. Let's talk about this conflation of talking with yourself with mental illness. 
I will say, now I am not a clinical psychologist or psychotherapist or, mm -hmm. or anyone with a licensed mental health background. I am just a lay person that lives in New York City, which by the way, qualifies me to talk about anything and everything. One of the behaviors, as you've correctly noted, that people observe with certain mental illnesses is the are discussions that do not seem to differentiate between the internal reality and the external reality. They seem to be talking to someone, often having very heated conversations, arguments. There can be threatening vocal intonations, even verbally threaten, threatening body language. And a lot of times there are physical characteristics that are associated pe with people that have mental illness that are engaging that. And you see them on the streets of New York City a lot because the homeless population has, being blunt, a significant portion of individuals in it that are suffering mm -hmm. from mental illness. And these physical manifestations are tied to that lack of the hygiene that we normally associate with mental stability or very obvious health conditions that are chronic and difficult to look at not being taken care of and that presumably are very painful or, or dangerous. And so I do think that we have as an evolutionary matter, the need to protect ourselves from danger. Mm -hmm. And that evolutionary drive evolved before the agricultural revolution, before all of the things that begin to move us towards modernity. Mm -hmm. And our instincts haven't had a chance to catch up. And not only that, but the vicissitudes between sanity and lack of mental health are not sharply defined. They're, mm -hmm. They merge into each other. So we have a situation where there are behaviors that we view as potentially threatening, mm -hmm. either because mentally ill people have within them the potential to be dangerous. And at a minimum, there is an unpredictability associated with that, which is associated with a threat response from an instinctive perspective, aligned with the idea that most people don't have the clinical ability to distinguish between what is a dangerous mentally ill person and what's not. And so I think for many people, and I have probably fallen into this, this as much as anyone, you err on the side of safety. Yeah. And therefore, the act of talking to oneself can be perceived to an external person as a potential signifier of danger. And then, of course, because very few people are truly able to separate their assessment of themselves from social judgment, the question does inevitably happen unless you are one of those folks that just talks to yourself and, and doesn't care about social judgments. If so, more power to you, you're better than me. But it does sort of raise the question of, am I one of those people? Mm -hmm. Behavior associated, in my opinion, not being the most knowledgeable person in the world about this, I acknowledge it, so do not hold me to this forever, people, mm -hmm. is that there is a part of us that wants to separate ourselves from the mentally ill, but there's a part of us also that worries that we have it within, within us. 
And so we become frightened and very threatened by behaviors that may indicate that we have something inside us that reflects illness. And I might add, my suspicion is that that's all exacerbated by the fact that it's quite obvious most mentally ill people are not fully aware of the fact that they're mentally ill. So therefore, it raises the threat level of behaviors such as talking to oneself uh, internally because it triggers, am I crazy and not knowing it? I also wonder to what degree does a behavior like that become a blind spot for the individual, something that is not recognized or differentiated in the way that you just described something is wrong with me but rather this is something that i choose to do however often so i i find that to be interesting the the fine line between that you know there's there's another thing that you pointed out and it's the um judgment that is oftentimes made in seeing people talk to themselves and the only reason why I say that is because there were times throughout my life where I judged without a doubt. Yeah. And I think there are m- multiple factors that contributed towards that judgment. A, talking to the self, as you mentioned, there's something that's uncertain about it. Yeah. I don't know what is going to – I don't know how that conversation is going to shape up and what's going to be the end result of it. Depending on the dialogue itself, if it's something that – let's say, involves anger or some of these more uh, intense emotions, that's where it becomes even more unknown. The uncertainty is that much greater of, okay, is my safety going to be at risk? Mm -hmm. If you hear someone passing by you talking about the possibility of whatever it may be, ending someone's life or some of these more extreme situations. So that's where I find an interesting point within what you shared as far as not knowing how is that conversation possibly going to impact my encounter with that person? <clears throat> so that's one thing that came to mind. And I, th- I think within that, there's also a component of talking to oneself as it applies to awareness. Mm-hmm. How aware are you of the fact that you might be doing it mm-hmm. however frequently? I know when I think about my day-to-day, I can't give you the number of times I do it exactly. It's that frequent. Mm -hmm. And the more conversations I have with other people and the more information I'm exposed to, the more things that I have to process through. And unless I have the ability and the access and a level of comfort and trust to pick up the phone and process that information with another living being, someone other than a dog, hopefully, because, you know, Caleb's uh, abilities are limited there. (laughs) But in my case, it's it's a it's a very valid point. Who else do you go to? Mm-hmm. The only yeah. the only one you can turn to is that inner self. Yeah, and then that turns into an internal dialogue. The common thread that I'm seeing, though, in all of this, mm-hmm. is the fragility of our sense of security. You need to be able to process these ideas. Otherwise, on some level or another, your sense of security 
is not quite there. If you're not able to process it, there's something going on in your mind, presumably, that causes tension that you need release from. And that is likely a lack of some security in something. I'm not saying um, comparing security to the concept of insecurity or nervousness. I'm talking to about it in a sense of our sense of comfort or mm -hmm. safety within a particular situation. Similarly, the idea of someone saying these threatening things triggers us so much because on some level or another, we understand, and it may be instinctive, but it also may be conscious or subconscious, that our security, our safety at any point in life, mental or physical, is always at risk. Yeah. If we are buying that hypothesis, then perhaps the function of talking to oneself is not just to process something out loud, mm -hmm. if that's your preferred way of doing it, but maybe it is also to seek some equilib equilibrium in the world mm -hmm. or to well, resolve I, a tension. I agree with you. And I think it also goes back to maybe a comment somewhat related to the comment that Miriam had made, and that's this concept of having a powerful mind, so to speak. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I've observed through my existence is the more information and the more experiences that I was exposed to, the more processing time my mind required. Mm -hmm. And part of that processing time, and, and I can't say that I ever feel like I hit a full cycle when it comes to that processing. Mm -hmm. I think because there's so much information that I encounter on a daily basis, there are some things that either don't get left, they get left for what they are because there's not enough time in the day to process every single event, every single circumstance, every single interaction that I have on that daily basis. So I think there's probably also a, a connection or a correlation between one's processing time and the way of doing it as it relates to the number of experiences and events that they have on a daily basis. Mm. So if your day-to-day -day routine doesn't include, let's say, more than, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 different events, then your processing time may not be as great. Therefore, the need to talk to yourself may not be as great. So you're saying I don't talk to myself as much as you do because my life is boring? No, not in... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not directly. <laughs> but but I do think that and I do think that the the number of experiences and events they might impact it. Mm -hmm. At least they do for me. Mm -hmm. I can't speak for anyone else because like I said earlier, I think people do it for different reasons. But I do think that there's something about what you just said as far as um that sense of safety and security. And I don't think that always means physical safety and security. I think that also means mental safety and security. Mm -hmm. And I'll also say that I don't think it also means safety from other people, but it's safety in knowing that you have completed the thought, yeah. that you have reached some sort of endpoint to that thought. Otherwise, your mind is going to be wandering. Right. You know, and, right. and it's it's never going to stop. Right. That's just at least that's how I under, I understand the mind. 
is that once you have a thought and the more complicated the thought is, the greater the urge is to find that endpoint right. to that given thought to complete the cycle. It's kind of like a life or death cycle in a way. I, I just have joined Paul. Paul had joined us here. Yes. I was going to say now Miriam accused my life of not being fun, but Miriam clearly does not know that I know Paul Newell. <laughs> because Paul Newell is the very definition of fun. And he opened the door and walked into the house. So suddenly my life is fun. But Miriam, we should have a conversation about that sometime. Maybe Oleg, we could have a conversation one day about the concept of fun because I don't value fun that much, actually. So the fact that my life might not be as fun as other people's, I don't care. But Miriam, that's a fair point, And I appreciate you sharing what you think. I love you teasing me. Oleg. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like there would ever be anything in your mind, in your life, in your behavior patterns that would lead you to suddenly think that you were talking to yourself too much? What would trigger alarm bells in you, if anything, around talking to yourself? I think probably when I would start replacing other human interactions with my ability to talk to myself, mm. I think that would be... A, an internal alarm that would have to go off. For example, if I'm replacing the opportunities I have to talk to you, to Miriam, to Paul, to everyone that's a part of my tribe, so to speak, with just the ability to talk to myself, I think that's where there's an area of concern. And I think the only reason why that is an area of concern is because at the end of the day, I understand that I'm limited to my perspective. I simply cannot know more than what I already know. And the only way for me to know anything other than that is to have dialogue with other beings who are experiencing life through a different lens. So if I'm only talking to myself, therefore I'm only that I'm limiting myself to that perspective. And I will probably hit a wall where in fact multiple walls within different topics where I don't know anything beyond that. So that's where I think there is that fine line as far as what's the boundary between talking to myself and what's the boundary between recognizing that that space I'm creating for myself is also replacing the space that I might create with another individual. So I've got to ask you this, and I would love to hear from Miriam yeah. and Paul and anyone else that is there, their own thoughts on this question. If the world was full of nothing but clones of you, <laughs> would you feel like you were talking to yourself? It would be a strange feeling for sure. It, it would be a, <laughs> it would be a strange feeling for I think a couple reasons for me. First is I truly do love and value diversity. I think diversity when it comes to many different areas, not necessarily one's makeup, but also just the education, mm -hmm. the experiences, the background, the perspective that one brings. That to me gives me the fuel to go from day to day. And I think it's a critical component of what it means to be alive for me. It's to be able to experience a variety of beings. If it was the same person, if it was a clone of me, I think I, I don't know what the meaning of life would look like at that point or even the meaning of service. Would there be any value in serving, quote unquote, the other person 
<laughs> when the other person is you everywhere you look. What would that look like? What would it look like in regard to we're building a better world for the greater good when the greater good is only you? <laughs> yeah, it would be awesome. <laughs> so Paul had a comment about the question. Paul, you can't get away with that answer, as humorous as it is. I want some substance there. In fact, I would love to be an observer of a world that is full of nothing but Paul Newell clones, <laughs> which no other creature existed. That would be a very fascinating world it would to observe, awesome. even if it's for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and depending on the day and depending on the topic, I, I think that could be an experience that would complete my life. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, would you laugh at your own jokes if the world was full of no one, nothing but clones of you? <laughs> and in fact, Oleg, do you laugh at your own jokes? Like speaking about talking to ourselves? Mm -hmm. I do. I find myself to be pretty funny on most occasions. There are some things that I will say I find myself laughing right after I say it. <sighs> And it's one of those laughs where I, I don't know if you can relate or Miriam or Paul or anyone else that's listening, but it's a genuine laugh, which is even more funny because then I think about that particular experience taking place. And, and I really, I almost get caught off guard as far as how was I able to experience this laugh when literally no one else was in the room and supposedly nothing happened, but my interpretation of the event itself. Do you do that? Do you laugh at your own? Do you laugh at yourself? First of all, I do laugh at myself because I'm pretty damn ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always tell a story. There was one time I used to own a printing company. Some of y'all know this. And when I owned that printing company, we were looking to expand. So we needed capital to do that expansion. And I had a fancy meeting with my CFO and the loan officer for the bank that we were seeking the bulk of our additional capital from. And I put on a suit and I put on sunscreen to walk there because I have had problems with my skin in the sun before. And I went to the bank, I gave presentation and talked to them for about an hour or so. And then I got home and I looked in the mirror and that sunscreen oh my God, my beard just had like huge globs of it on there. It had melted. Then there were like these white streaks in my hair. And I had like this big, gigantic white glob globule on my nose. Mm -hmm. And I then I called up my CFO and I said, was I having this whole conversation, giving this whole presentation with all this <laughs> crap on my face? Mm -hmm. And he laughed and he was like, oh. I didn't see anything, Scott. So he was lying. He saw it all. He, right? He didn't see anything. Either yeah. it was there or it wasn't. So he's clearly, he said it was there. He just wanted to pretend he didn't see it. Mm -hmm. And so I looked like a complete ridiculous fool. And I had to laugh at myself mm -hmm. because our ridiculousness is pretty ridiculous sometimes, at least mine. Now, do I laugh at myself? Um, sometimes at my own jokes. There have been times, David and I, my husband, David, and I took a um, stand-up comedy class years mm -hmm. ago. And we would, of course, write our jokes in advance. And I would think about the jokes and 
come up with them in the middle of the day or at night or during our writing sessions together. And I would be dying of laughter. inside, <laughs> And then I would tell my husband the joke and I'd get this. <laughs> so it really exposed the difference between my sense of humor about my own brilliant, hilarious jokes and how other people were perceiving them. And sometimes I just was like, I'm going to go ahead and deliver this joke anyway, because I think it's hilarious. And in those situations, <laughs> I delivered it to the class and I got more of this. So <laughs> at least you knew your audience. At least you uh, yeah, were able to true. tell that, hey, <laughs> if it, even if it is a one-man show, <laughs> it still can be funny. But I find myself doing the same exact thing sometimes. I, I, I haven't had the ability to take a class like that, although I'm definitely going to do it because I think there's something interesting in being able to use this concept of talking to oneself to discover other elements of that self. <laughs> And I think there's something beautiful and powerful about being able to laugh at my own existence, especially the things that I, for example, assume or expect to go a certain way, and then it just goes completely different. Yeah. And then that to me, I find funny because at the end of the day, who am I trying to control that experience? Yeah. Who am I trying to control my existence and what it is? What is it that I believe I can control when the reality of the matter is I don't control any of it? So that's where I think that internal dialogue helps because then it helps me realize components about this experience on this planet that I may not be as aware of. So I, I think there's, a, there's an important lesson within that. I, but I also will say that I think there's an important lesson within being able to at least for me, being able to look at life through that lens, that everything can be a comedy show, so to speak. Yeah. Or there's Miriam, humor within every experience. Yeah, there is. Most. You know, Miriam talks about uh, when she was about to have some kids, she was afraid they would be clones, and they ended up being wonderfully unique. That would have been hilarious, Miriam, if somehow in like some super high-tech sci-fi way, you had <laughs> given birth to literally to clones of yourself. <laughs> that didn't have any external DNA in them whatsoever. <laughs> that would have been awesome. And I, I would wonder, have laughed and been horrified. <laughs> I wonder if that would add more of a complexity or a simplicity to the world. Would that even create the need to talk to yourself if everyone around you was the same exact individual? And would they do what Paul felt the need to do, which is switch from Facebook to LinkedIn? <laughs> I like LinkedIn better, by the way, LinkedIn Live, but, 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 but Facebook, in case your evil ears are listening to me. Mark Zuckerberg, I love you. Or Zuckerberg, or whatever you say your name. I love you. I really do. <laughs> so, do, you, do you find that in being able to talk to yourself, I wonder... And this might be a loaded question, but in regard to the series that we started, which a large component of that is gratitude, do you find there do, do you find there to be a connection between gratitude and self-talk? And if so, what is that connection that you can imagine? Yes. Because gratitude, particularly if it is in any way not expressed to others but thought. Mm -hmm especially if it's spoken out loud is a powerful form 
of self-talk. And I say that in all seriousness, joking about clones and stuff and me talking randomly to strangers on the street out loud to myself and, and ask, acting, you know, trying to see how they react. All of that silliness and, and sarcasm and stuff aside, gratitude when said out loud to anyone, including myself or just the air is a way of bringing something that has such power to transform a mind into the world that that's the one type of self-talk. I don't again, really know if I engage in it or not. The reason why I don't really know is my practice of gratitude. There are just random times when I'm feeling gratitude about someone in the house and I may text them and share that with them, or I may, Right. mention them in conversation. But a lot of the times when I experience gratitude is when I'm doing my daily walk with my music on and I will observe something that I'm grateful for. And in that moment, I make an attempt to express that gratitude. What I don't really know, I may sort of whisper it to myself. I don't really know whether I'm just saying it in my own head or whether I actually sort of softly say it out loud right. like i'm grat you know i have gratitude for how cute that little squirrel is that i saw or have gratitude for being able to appreciate the leaves changing in central park but that's one thing i would feel maybe i need to listen to myself maybe i need to pull a miriam and just be out there expressing some of that gratitude out loud if for no other reason than it is vocalizing and putting out into the universe a sentiment that the universe may not hear or pay any attention to at all, might not have any meaning, but you never know. Who knows? There, there's some way that expressing that out into the world might have a positive impact. It can't hurt. And it solidifies it as yeah. a concept in the mind. To me, the process of translating a thought into speech brings it into reality in a way that a mere passing thought does not. What do you, you? Find, do you find that that component of gratitude carries greater meaning if you actually choose to tell that individual what it is that you're grateful for or is it enough to just be able to express that gratitude through your own self-talk meaning to me or to them uh probably to you yes because expressing gratitude uh-huh does two things. First of all, it is an act of, in, of intention that always carries the possibility of solidifying, deepening that relationship. So to the extent that solidifying and deepening a connection to someone is an act of meaning, uh -huh. then yes, saying it to them does have an impact in the world, a deeper impact than just having it go by as a flight of fancy. The other thing is that it takes an act of courage. Anytime we express gratitude to others, no matter how often we practice it, and I like to say I practice it a lot, although there are people that practice it even more than I, uh -huh. it's an act of vulnerability yeah. because none of us knows how that expression will be received. And it may well 
be rejected. There was someone that I worked with who I knew was very narcissistic, very diva-ish, very nasty in her interactions with people, mm -hmm. universally hated. And it occurred to me that this is someone who was probably not very happy inside or very troubled. And making sure that she got some positive feedback might bring some positivity into a life that I didn't see as having a lot. And so I went out of my way to compliment her on things. And she said, you know, one case she like fluttered her eyelashes and said, how dare you insult me by thinking that I would need a compliment. I'm aware of the fact that I'm good at this. Yeah. And then another time I, um, told her you know, great job on it. And she said, yes, Scott, that's why you should be learning from me and taking instruction and following my lead. Because if you um, do as I do, your own deficiencies will get better. That's more or less what she said. Right. I felt very vulnerable because my expressions of gratitude put me in a position where I was not in control of how it was received. And she chose not to receive it in a way that was, in my opinion, optimal, although perhaps from her perspective, that was the best she could do. Yeah. And I never take that way of it being received for granted. So yes, it is different than just thinking of gratitude. It's interesting to even think about that moment and think about the, I don't know if there's necessarily a fine line between, uh, what are the things that you choose to kind of solely express to yourself and what are the things that you choose to express to others? So how do you, how do you utilize self-talk in a situation like that? Hmm. And if this is an experience that is repeated one, then does self-talk play a greater benefit in acknowledging into yourself that she has made an impact yeah. than actually acknowledging it to the individual? Because you're right. If the person is not in the space, and I think many of us have been in those situations. I know I've, I have for sure. There were times where I struggled to receive compliments. Now, I didn't approach it through the same lens that she did, but there are times where I brushed it off or I didn't acknowledge it. So it, it didn't have the same meaning, I think, maybe for both parties, myself as well as the person that chose to give out that compliment. Maybe, in fact, I took away from the meaning that they were trying to create from that moment. But I also find it interesting to look at the connection between self-talk and gratitude. For me, what I've learned is that I used to solely express gratitude through my self-talk. So, for example, I would acknowledge your presence, Paul's presence, Miriam's presence, Jessica's presence, Kenny's presence, so many other people, and I would acknowledge their impact but then what clicked for me was a couple years ago or however many years ago by now, I was looking back at my own experience and I was asking myself the question of who else's story am I a part of? Who else's journey in life am I a part of? And then the same thing, vice versa, who else has been a part of my story and journey that they don't know of? They've been a critical component of it. So that's where I chose to take the different path in life and actually start to verbalize those things to people. So instead of waiting for whatever moment that is going to create that possibility for me to express why I'm grateful to you, 
I just started to take intentional action. Send a text. Yeah. And you do that. Do that phone call. Yes. Send that thank you note. Yeah. Because the other component to it that I, yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily, and this is something that you've touched upon a couple of times, it's that, yes, the expression of gratitude through self-talk might be the first step to that journey, but it doesn't always have to be the ultimate step to that journey. Yeah. And unless someone truly knows that you've made an impact in their lives, at least in my opinion, then you, you, they don't know what they don't know. They might go through life not knowing that you were the person that they had to have a conversation with however many years ago that put them on the current tra trajectory of the life that they're living. Yeah. I'm going to take a second and actually mm -hmm. do a little bit of externalization of gratitude here. Mm -hmm. Marilyn and Miriam, I was reading the comments through my right eye which I have a little bit, of, little bit of an issue with that I hope to get taken mm -hmm. care of in the next couple of months. And so sometimes it's a little bit cloudy and I got mixed up. I saw Marilyn's remark about having daughters and being a clone and I just saw the MA. The rest was a little cloudy. So I thought it was Miriam. Mm -hmm. So Miriam, if you heard me talking about you having twins and you're like, I didn't have twins, <laughs> then I'm, I'm grateful for you being patient with me for that. Marilyn. I don't want you to think I'm confusing you with Miriam because I adore you. Marilyn is a powerhouse speaker, Toastmaster queen, and amazing human being, just like Miriam, but they're totally different people. They're not clones of each other by any stretch of the imagination. So, Mar Marilyn, I just saw your most recent comment and absolutely true. Oleg and I are both very grateful for you and being here, and I'm grateful to you for putting up with me, switching your name with Miriam's. And expressing that out loud is, to me, very different than just keeping it inside. Yeah. And not to leave one other person out of the room, but why are you grateful for Paul in your life? Paul Newell. I don't even know where to begin. But I have felt like I had a connection with Paul from the first time I met him. Not only has he made me laugh, he's a very insightful, thoughtful person genuinely caring and utterly and completely authentic. He also has kept in touch and been a loyal, loyal um, patriot in life through some challenging interpersonal situations that he and I have been involved in. He knows what I'm talking about, and it's not been any interpersonal challenges between him and I, but I'm grateful for the fact that he stayed the course with the friendship, and and I'm glad that I stayed the course with the friendship, too, because I think he's a very, very, very worthwhile person to have in life, in anyone's life. Mm -hmm. What about you? I feel a similar way. I think for me, I feel grateful for Miriam for having the ability to connect with her uh, however long ago, but also just creating that space where... We were able to be fully honest with each other and trust the power of that space that we were sharing. Marilyn, I haven't had the chance to connect with just yet, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible. Mm -hmm. And then Paul, why I'm grateful for his presence in my life is because similar remarks to what you had made, he is truly someone who I just, I can't help but laugh every conversation mm -hmm. I have. 
and it's not because I, I'm laughing at him or laughing with him. I just think that there is something about his presence, which is very open, very accepting of other people. Yeah. And I would say it's also, at least my experience has been with him. It's very non-judgmental. Yeah. It's very much that, okay, I know certain things, you know certain things, but neither one of us is wrong. Both of us are right according to the lens that we see it. And I find that to be a very um, empowering perspective to carry when it comes to just different encounters, especially people that I've never met in my life. It's interesting because, Paul, people that make you laugh can be perceived as frivolous or silly. Paul's actually not frivolous or silly at all. Yeah, He's a very substantive, serious person. Not only that, but they can also, some people make you laugh, but you feel a little bit dirty later because they're laughing at other people or it's mean-spirited. And that's another thing I like about Paul. There's not a mean-spirited bone in his body. Yeah. And for that, to be able to bring humor, and he observes the world very clearly mm -hmm. and expresses his observations about it in a way that is is honest but hilarious and so yeah it's, it's really wonderful Marilyn is a powerful speaker speaker as is Miriam mm -hmm. and so having them engage in the conversation all in one place is just really a delight mm -hmm. Scott when you when you think about this topic and when you think about talking to yourself one of the ways to maybe not do it is to connect with other people what are some ways that people can connect with you so they don't have to talk to themselves about you? Yeah, I'll just talk at you. <laughs> Speakerscott.com is where you can find out more about me as a public speaker. Mm -hmm. And I talk about things like resilience, connection to purpose, and finding connection through meaning. I also have a podcast. Dot com. That show is terrific. And actually, the most recent guest was someone that I met only because of you, Oleg. So while I'm on the topic of gratitudes, having that particular conversation on my show, it, her name is Shelly Brown. Mm -hmm. Her book is Weird Girl Adventures, and it is about how she learned to accept the inner weird within herself. Mm -hmm. I bet she talks to herself all the time, and I bet it's hilarious. <laughs> Oleg, I'm grateful to you for the uh, connections that you brought into my life, starting with Shelly, but on to so many others. No, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the space that we're able to create. I'm grateful for all the people that make up this space. And I'm also grateful for the opportunity to freely express what it is that I believe to be true about my existence and I just uh, grateful for the fact that our paths have crossed, that we choose to work together and everyone else that chooses to join and support us, whether it's through sharing their opinions, their reviews, the contributions that people make or um, whatever other way that people add value to this work, I'm in extremely grateful for because as I said earlier, the two of us or the three of us, however many of us are here, Yes, we might start that conversation, but at the end of the day, we're limited to our perspective. So having other people as part of this show is insightful and extremely helpful because then we're able to expose ourselves to other ways of thinking and other ways of doing. And I can't say that any of it would be possible 
if it's not for people like Paul, Jessica, Marilyn, Miriam, Kenny, and so many others that choose to tune in on a weekly basis. Yeah. Melody. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful that we're all able to create this space and I'm grateful for you, Scott, for being able to have this conversation with me today. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we look forward to having you next time.